Hi, I'm Jeannie Butler and Calvary friends and family. I really miss seeing everyone and look forward to when we can be together again. So let's pray. Dear Father, thank you so much for this day. And thank you that you are faithful and good even when we are not. And thank you that you uh, hear our prayers and that you know our hearts and that you want to work good in our lives. And I just ask that you take our service today and that our hearts will be open to hear your word so that we can learn to love you more and to serve you better. And I just pray if there's someone who doesn't know you today, that their heart will be moved and that they will come to know you as their Lord and Savior. Thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for answering our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, Calvary. How are you? We're glad that you joined us today, and at least for this season, for a few more weeks for sure, and we continue to send updates. I hope you've gotten those updates. If not, we encourage you to go to yourcalvary.info and look at the updates as we are continuing to talk about what this looks like, what our church looks like in the future. But as we start and continue on in our living room set today, um, we're continuing on in the book of Philippians. And in Philippians uh, chapter 3, we pick up the story where Paul has been in prison. He sent his friend Epaphroditus, who was sent originally to take care of him, back to the people of Philippi. He's telling them how thankful for them. He's challenging them to stay the course. And in the middle of the book of Philippians is this beautiful, beautiful poem that describes the centrality of Christ. And that is why we are here for, to live, to help people know how to follow and find Christ in the middle of whatever circumstances we're going through. It doesn't always have to be on a big stage. I love this point that Drew made last week. It was talking about the idea that we don't have to always use our skills. That God uses you just for your availability sometimes and where you are at and with the, the circumstances you're at. And so he's going on and he's challenging us, build the kingdom of God on, up. And as we pick up the story, he warns us that not everybody's going to be building the kingdom like they should, even in the church. So in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, it says, In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the one who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. So he's just described to them the importance of building up the kingdom, but he says, you know what, there's some among you who aren't really getting it. And he uses three illustrations to make the same point. And the main point alludes to the fact that there are people trying to use works to justify their holiness. And that's why he describes the idea of those who mutilate their flesh not to be gross or crass. Spoiler, it's talking about circumcision there. And the idea of whether or not you have to be circumcised to be holy as a follower of God. And he's saying that's not where our hope comes. In verse 3 it says, For we are the circumcision, we are the holy remnant, that which was viewed in the Old Testament as a necessity has been replaced by the Spirit of God living in us. And that's really important to understand. That ultimately we can't let the things of this world determine our circumstances of how we follow God. And we can't even let other people 
determine how we follow God, but yet we need the church. So how do we balance these things? How do we to know who to listen to, when to listen to, and, and what we should do? And I think, does that seem like a relevant time right now? I mean, yes, because if you're looking on any social media, if you're looking at any news, everybody has a different opinion on the same idea, right? And so how do we know, and what's this really about? Why do people feel like they have to be in the know? It's an issue of control. The people in that time that were, were wanting just to have rules and regulations and, and laws, they were, they were wanting to, to feel like they were in control. It's kind of scary to go, I don't know what's coming. So when you don't know, it's easy to come up with rules. I'm a rules guy. You can ask my wife. I'm kind of a rules guy. I try not to be such a rule guy. I can, I can tend towards legalism. I try not to do that. Um, but the rules don't really help us in the long run if we don't have the relationship with God. It's the saying I've always said, Christ will lead you to the law, but the law will seldom lead someone to Christ. And so as we're trying to do this, we're trying to figure out, okay, how do we know if this person is speaking on behalf of God? Or how do we know if this person is speaking out of their own opinion? And he does this by first alluding to himself. In verse 4, he says, Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, in other words, my works, my actions, my beliefs, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, referring back to the fact that he was a holy person, of the nation of Israel, I grew up in the church, of the tribe of Benjamin, one of the 12 tribes, I know my history, I know my heritage, my family's been in this church since the beginning of time. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews regarding a law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuted by the church, regarded the righteousness that is the law, and blameless. He goes on to say, these are my credentials. And I think that sometimes people go, oh, they have a lot of credentials. They wear a title. And so they're, and as I was wondering and thinking about this, I actually made a long list of my credentials, but I never share those. And I was thinking about sharing them, but I just can't because it just, I can't get the words to come out of my mouth. It just seems wrong to do so. But I have quite a list of credentials. And that's what Paul's saying. If anybody has the right to tell you what to do, it's me. But guess what? I don't think I'm holier than you. And I don't think I'm holier than all of you. If God is in you, then you have the access to the same Spirit of God that was guiding the people in the New Testament. The same Spirit of God that has guided people for centuries. And so don't discount that. The gospel is never about your credentials or how holy you feel. It is never about feeling like you were accomplished or even how you were being used. It is about sharing simply what you know. And I think that's, that's where this resonates. That's where this comes back to me and says, okay, so he continues on in the end of verse 8, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ. How do you see yourself today? Do you see yourself in the big grand scheme of how you're following Christ as compared to other people in the church? Do you strive to be heard and, and noticed for what you do? Do you strive to, to be the voice? And, and if you feel like everybody else, if they would just listen to me, the world would be a better place. Oh, that's me far too often and probably you as well. And he's saying that's, 
That's not how you build up the kingdom. How do you build up the kingdom? To know God. Transparent moment. I almost abandoned this sermon this morning and preached a entirely different passage. So I'm going to bring that passage in a little bit because this passage I actually talked to my small group about on a Monday night. And a thanks, shout out to Sean Pugh, if you're listening, for recommending this book that walks us through this devotion. And in John chapter 6, um, we see the story that we've many of us have heard since the beginning of time. And I think it relates perfectly back to this Philippians passage. In John chapter 6, we see the story that is told throughout the Gospels of the boy who brings the five uh, loaves and the two fish, the five loaves and the two fish, and it feeds 5,000 men and a bunch of other uh, people as well. I've heard that story my whole life. It's an amazing story about how God provides for us in the midst of everything when we don't know what's going on. I mean, it's, but in this passage in this week, the part that really got me was at the very beginning, as the people begin to see the crowds approaching him, Jesus looks out and he doesn't look to all the disciples. He looks to one in particular, Philip. And he looks at him and it says, in order to test him, he asks this, and found in John chapter 6, go back and verify it if you want. He says, how are we going to feed all these people? At that moment, if you're Philip, I think you're going like this. Are you talking to me? And I love Philip's response. He says, Jesus, if we had a half a year's worth salary, it would only give people a little tiny piece of bread for all the amount of people here. How are we going to feed all of these people? Now, do you think Jesus in that moment really intended Philip to feed them? No, he didn't. He was showing him that sometimes it's beyond your grasp. Now, here's how this passage really has tucked at my heartstrings this week and really gotten me um, on edge. And really every single night this week, I've gone to bed thinking about this passage as I'm wrestling with it. Because during this pandemic, I'm looking around and I'm looking up at the mass crowds and it's almost like, this is so overwhelming. I can't be in their presence. How do I feed them, Jesus? And I feel like he's saying, Daniel, how are you going to feed them? And I'm sitting there going, I can't. The circumstances are beyond my ability to feed them. The circumstances are beyond my capability to feed them, right? And then somebody on our staff or somebody comes up and says, hey, there's a little boy here with five loaves and two fish. And we go, that's not going to help, right? How, how is that going to help? But God. And I think far too often in my own quest to feel holy. I feel like I have to own, this is a little bit vulnerable, I have to own, if I'm holy, then God can use me. No. It's in recognizing that I'm not holy that I can realize God can use me. It's in recognizing my own limitations that God can use me. It's recognizing that no matter what we do, we barely have five loaves and two fish, which is barely enough to feed ourselves, but God. So when I think about that passage and I, and I start thinking, it really gets me shifted. So we have a saying around here, followers that make followers of Jesus. That's what we're really about. But I want you to hear very carefully to the following two statements because they're very similar, but a very distinct difference. 
My greatest aim in my life is not for me to reach as many people as I can. My greatest aim is to point as many people to Christ as I can. Do you see the difference? I mean, how often we've heard, I, I can't save no one, right? That may have been a double negative there. That's okay. Grammar and videos, that's bad. I can save no one, but Jesus can. Even through our strugglings and our, our failures. And, and I, I'm wondering today how many of you are looking through this pandemic from the lens of God's asking you to do something amazing and you're sitting there going, but I can't. And for some of you, it might be God's asking you to still continue to figure out a way to trust him to put food on your table. You can't. Admit it. Say it out loud. Come to the confession. I can't figure this out. And then allow God and his church to surround you and point you to the truth of what God really wants to do in us. Maybe sometimes people are going, I don't know how to, to reach my neighbors. I don't know how to reach through to my kids during this time. I don't know what to say to the, the people. I don't, I, don't have, I don't know what to do. That is actually a very holy moment, in my opinion, to realize you can't do it. But what would it look like if we really surrendered that? As Paul says, not having a righteousness of my own, from the law or a bunch of rules or control or regulations I've come up with in my own mind that might work. But one that is through faith in Christ. Faith is believing in something you can't fully explain. Faith is believing in something that you know is outside of you. Hope means it hasn't happened now, but is in the future. And I think as the writer of that uh, devotion book, I can't exactly remember what it is. I'll see if Chris can throw it in the notes of Sunday, the author of that, uh, that study. As we were looking at that, I love what he said. I think Philip in that moment looked at the crowd like we often look at our problems. That's not one problem, that's a thousand problems. How is the church going to gather again? How are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? How, how can we eat? How can we find another job in the middle of a time? How can we, whatever the, how can we protect ourselves so that we don't get sick and we start the wheels spitting and we lose sleep at night and we look at the problems. But Jesus doesn't look at the problems as problems because he already has the answer. Jesus looks at those moments as opportunities. And I think the test that he was trying to get through with Philip in John chapter 6, and what Paul is alluding to in here in Philippians chapter 3, is, is pivoting our mindset of the worldview of this faith is about us into the mindset of, this is an opportunity. I was very transparent in a post a few weeks ago. Can I be really, really transparent again right now? Here's, here's where pastors are going to struggle over the next few weeks, months maybe even years. Some people are going to leave our churches over the way and the choices we make based on how we're restarting the church. Our church, every church, it's coming. They're going to think we've cowered to the government. They're going to think we don't care about the elderly. 
and those two things don't always go together, right? They're going to think that we're too aggressive, we're not aggressive enough. They're going to, and as pastors, we're going to see those people leave and we're going to grieve. But we're not going to grieve because their tithes and their offerings are leaving, at least not if we're doing this right. We're not going to grieve because we don't feel popular, but if we're really following God, I grieve because I sit there and I go, I did not feed them well to where they knew that this wasn't just about them getting fed. That this gospel story was never intended just to be about their comfort and their needs and their choices. And so I'll grieve because I will sometimes feel like I didn't feed them well. And then I, I come back into this passage in John 6. I come back into this passage in Philippians, and here's where I find the hope from that perspective as a pastor. I can never feed them enough as my, on my own anyways. You see, I have never described myself as the bread of life. Jesus is. And so whenever we practice communion and we break off that bread, we're not doing that today in case you're panicking, sitting there going, are we doing communion again in a few minutes? I go, honey, get the crackers. No, we're not doing that in a minute. But whenever we practice that, that bread of life, and Jesus says, I'm breaking, it's to remind us that he is our sustenance. And so the righteousness from God based on faith, my goal is to know him, to know the bread of life, to know the one who sustains, who provides and the power of his resurrection, the power of his resurrection, what is the power of that resurrection? Going back to Philippians 1, it's a reference back to the first chapter. It says the power is the love of Christ in us. So it's a reference back to chapter 1, and he's talking about the love, that, that love is the supreme power, that God's love in and through us as we reach out and share it with other people, this is the power we have. So, Lots of people will try to twist and distort what the gospel message is for their own receiving. But to know the power of Christ means to give it away. To know the power of Christ says, okay. So the power of his resurrection, and then that will be knowing that giving it away allows us to bleed into the next section where it says, and the fellowship of his sufferings, the fact that this will cost you something being conformed to his death. So, what's it costing you? I'm, once again, not just talking about, well, I give my tithes and offerings to the church. Thank you. Actually, I'm very, I feel very blessed. This church is continuing to give, and I, and I'm, I do, I appreciate that, but that's not really what I'm alluding to. I'm talking about the sacrifice outside of yourself. I'm talking about the realization that that this life and this world, if anything this pandemic has shown us, is we can view the world as a myriad, hundred thousand world full of promises. I did not say that very good, but I'm going to try to say it again. We can look out at this world as being full of problems. Or we can look out this world as a sense of opportunity for Christ to move and breathe through us. And so that's what I want to ask you. 
Are you willing to go through the pain? Are you willing to go through the suffering? Are you willing to assume not only the resurrection, but the death? Are you willing to to not have your way? Are you willing to not make it more complicated for others to follow? Are you willing to just keep the centrality of Christ all going back to that Philippians 2 verse, that beautiful poem that talks about the centrality of how Christ is in and through all of what we do? How do we do that? We live to point people to Jesus. If you've never received Jesus, the Bible tells us that if we confess with our mouth Jesus the Lord and believe in our heart that he was raised from the dead, then he can come alive in us. We'd love to walk you through with that a um, little more. Would you reach out to us at yourcalvary.info slash follow? Once again, the link will be on the screen. For those who are already following Christ, I want to ask you this week, in everything you're doing, are you living to point people to Jesus? And how do you know that when you're doing things, if you have the right motive or not? Because sometimes I don't even have the right motive. Sometimes I think I have the right motive, but it's really to get accolades for myself. So here's our daily training this week. With one action a day, either you or your family or you and your roommate or you by yourself, however you want to view that, you and your spouse, whatever. One action a day, point others to Christ anonymously or without others knowing it was you. Do something, write a a meaningful note and don't sign it. Give it a gift card so you know that person and say, I felt like the Lord was telling me to do this. Uh, um, Find a way to encourage people in a way that doesn't have your name attached and really try to be creative for a couple reasons. One, you're going to point that person to Christ. But the benefit to you is it's a reminder that it's not about you being seen or receiving the blessing. It's a reminder that we are to live pointing people to Christ. Don't think you can do that perfectly? Don't worry, that's next week. Hope you come back and join us as we have a few more weeks in this living room format at least. And guys, know that we love you. I'm going to close in prayer now, and then we're going to continue on in worship. So God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for how you move and breathe in us, and I pray that we are able to trust you God, forgive us when we make it about us. Help us to die to ourselves and find you resurrected in us and through us. In your name we pray.